This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, September 26, 2023 edition, and I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here, as always, to help guide you to make better decisions with your money, not just on the investment side, but on the savings and, and, and the spending side as well. I know we talk about Invest Talk, but you know, it's, it's, it's a multi-stage process. You can't do one thing right and expect to achieve your own version of financial freedom, which we talk about on the show all the time. It's about actionable steps that put more money into your bank account, into your savings accounts, to your retirement accounts, et cetera, on a consistent basis. And the most important is you is your savings habits. And then, you know, we can also help with the investment side as well. And that's what we do here is answer your questions, give you useful data and unbiased perspective so that you can make an informed decision, a balanced decision, one that looks at both sides of the decision-making tree, not just the opportunities, but also the risks. Every asset has its day in the sun, and you know sometimes that that day is now for certain companies, certain asset classes, and other times it's not. And you have to use the data that you have at hand, which luckily we have a lot, but it's also about ignoring the the noise and focusing on the facts at hand. So that's what we're here to help you with. We're going to give you some market perspective. We're going to run down some show topics. But as always, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hi, I'm calling about RCI Hospitality, ticker Rick, R-I-C-K. I was wondering if you think it's nearing a new support level or if you think this is not a good business to invest in. Thanks. All right. Looking at RCI Hospitality Holdings. And I forgot what this used to be called, but let's just call this what it is. It is a REIT that owns a bunch of strip clubs. That's what it is. And it's come down a lot with the entire real estate sector, the REIT sector. It peaked earlier this year around $97 per share. Now we're at $60 per share. So it's being caught up with the entire uh, REIT sector. But remember... If you don't have a lot of money, maybe you're pinching some pennies. Are you going to the strip club? Probably not. So it's very cyclical. People get big bonuses. Maybe they go. They spend, you know, they're going on a big trip. Maybe they go to Vegas or wherever and they have more money to spend at these facilities. And so it tends to be a very cyclical business. As the economy slows, that is something that will, uh, will slow as well. Okay, and so 
The big question is where is the support? You know, it's in a clear downtrend. You have relative strength at 16, very, very weak. Uh, what I will say is there's the next support level will be around $52 per share. Now it's at 60, $60 and three cents at the close today. So I think there's certainly more downside ahead is 52, the ultimate bottom. We shall see, but the, I would say the next level after that would be 41. I would be patient on this because of the rising rates because of the cyclicality of this particular industry. And I would, it's a good company. It's a, or at least, you know, it depends if you're willing to invest in those type of names. And if you are, you know, it's a, it's a quality REIT. It's history of profitability is in the, the mid teens, which for a REIT is pretty high. It's pretty high. So I like what you're looking at, but it needs to be at 41. That's the level that I would get excited about, but not here at 60. All right. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes. Time permitting, we're going to focus on why bond yields keep rising, as well as a few other topics. One is in regards to the latest lawsuit out of the FTC. Or sorry, not the FTC. That's the federal... Is it FTC? Yeah, sorry, FTC. I always get FTC, FCC. There's a lot of acronyms, obviously, in government. So FTC against Amazon. And what they're saying about Amazon's practices, I'll comment on how impactful this might be for their business. And then the rest of the big tech, which certainly is in the crosshairs of Fed Chair Lena Khan. So we're going to look at that story. Also, higher rates so far haven't impacted consumers too dramatically. But we're going to talk about where it has and how quickly that might spread. And then lastly, Hollywood's strike is now over. But what does that mean for the studios? For some studios, it might be very helpful. Others, not so much. So we're going to look at that story. We also have some voice bank questions in regards to PLL, which is a lithium company, and then AT&T. And I will try to get to an iTunes review question as well. Now let's talk about the market today. It was a decidedly red day as the 10-year continued to power to the upside. And we know higher interest rates tends to have a dampening effect on multiples across the market. The 10-year, not up a lot today, about one and a half basis points, 4.558 at the close today. But you had some big losers, big losers today. You had VinFast down another 8%, Dish down 7.4. Uh, among the most active companies, you had Apple down 2.3%, Amazon down 4 on that news of the FTC lawsuit, Tesla down a little over 1%. Bank of America down one and a half, Ford down a little over more than 1%. And if you look at it, the large caps are down 1.46%. The mid caps, the exact same. Small caps down 1.41%. So a very red day in the markets. And let me take a look here. Are we approaching? I know we were getting to, uh, we were, looked like we were heading towards the major support levels right around the 4,200 level, maybe a little bit below that on the S&P. Now we're clearly into the 4,200 handle. We're at 4,273 at the close today. So we're only two, two and a half percent 
away from a a pretty significant support level. So I don't see any reason why we can't get there. You certainly are getting that rollover of the, the growth of value trade. Those high multiple names are taking a little bit more on the chin than some of those those lower price names, but not in a big way. It's not a giant rollover quite yet, uh, That and there's no major, major break, but you're starting to see that downtrend reassert itself. Uh, what else do we have today? You had the dollar that was that was up a bit. You had oil that was also up a bit. So what you continue to see is energy prices staying resilient in the face of a market that is in decline. So that was the market today. Solid red day, but getting an inching closer to some major support levels. All right, now we, as we head to the break, let me remind you to check out our new InvestTalk Classroom series. It is up now on our YouTube channel, and it is our new episode entitled How to Gauge the U.S. Economy. It's episode eight. It's a new one just posted today. So please head over there. We're going to talk about how to look at headlines, how to interpret GDP numbers, how to think about the economy and how it's going, not just what the headlines say. And the reality was what is a good gauge of where to st- where where the state of the economy lies right now, and how to invest through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. It's another topic we discuss on that video, and we discuss various indicators to watch. So you need to know what they are, and you can do that by heading over to our YouTube channel and just search Invest Talk Classroom. All right, now the phone lines are open, right, waiting for you at eight 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 ninety nine chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Foods, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. My name is Peter from Columbus, Ohio. Hey, I appreciate the show. Just calling to get your opinion on AT&T as a, just like a long hold. Um, I used to listen to the show quite a bit. I haven't listened in probably a year, so I'm getting back into it. I apologize if you've answered this recently. I'm just going through a backlog. But um, really, I just want to have some... You know, all my spare money, uh, I've got all my retirement stuff maxed out, IRAs, 401ks and stuff. So I just want to put some extra cash in um, something that's long, pretty safe. Uh, obviously, a bunch of stocks, not just AT&T. So I'm just looking at this as one of them. Something that pays a dividend, that, you know, stable company. So uh, the symbol is T, AT&T. Appreciate it. Thanks. Now, let me address the first kind of issue I have with that question. And that is safe. 
There are no equities that are safe. Should never think of an equity as a safe. I don't care how blue chip of a blue chip it is. I don't care if you're talking about ExxonMobil or Procter and Gamble or you know think or Apple or think of any of the biggest largest names that have been around for decades. None of it is safe. There's all shades of aggressive. All equities are shades of aggressive. Why do I say that? And this feeds into my answer here is that equities, common stock, is at the bottom of the capital structure. You are last in line. You are last in line. Therefore, that is risky. So never think of an equity as safe. There are shades that are of, 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 of aggressiveness, but they're all aggressive. They're all risky. Every single one of them, top to bottom, from the largest company in the world to the smallest company in the world. Okay, I'll stop there. Now, AT&T has been going down. They're now the third largest wireless provider behind Verizon and T-Mobile. And they obviously had some issues with their Time Warner. They spun that off and trying to repair balance sheets, et cetera. And I think that was a smart move. Now they have some lead potential issues, lead wiring issues. They're still yet to be seen how extensive that is for AT&T and, and, and the other telecoms. But it could derail their ability to grow their cash flow and service their debt. And that's why this, I wouldn't say this is not going anywhere. That was another statement in the question. Oh, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, probably AT&T as a brand is not going anywhere. But when you have a company with a lot of debt on its balance sheet, there's certainly a risk, especially in a rising rate environment, that, that debt is not able to be rolled over. And if it is, it's going to be at a higher rate. And that cuts into earnings, which cuts into potential dividend. They already cut their dividend once with the, with the Time Warner spinoff. Maybe they do it again to shore up their balance sheet. And so with all of that being said, I do think it's cheap. I, th- I think it's a little bit overblown. The, the worries are a bit overblown, so I think it's on the cheap side. But don't mistaken my viewpoint of how cheap the company is based on cash flows, et cetera, with me saying this is a safe way to play the market or to, to invest. It's aggressive because of the debt level. I don't care how big the company is, how consistent their revenue is, and it is pretty consistent. Their earnings are solid. But when you're talking about putting money in long term in a rising rate environment, you need to refocus on balance sheets. And I know you haven't listened in a while, and that's what I've been talking about for a little while, which is you have to focus on the balance sheets of the companies that you're owning. If you are not paying attention, you will run into a train wreck. Okay. Now we're going to a break. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart
Justin Klein and Steve Beasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. Call Investalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Why do bond yields keep rising? And we went into the year with a 10-year right around the 3.5% range. What was the exact number? uh, 3.87. High threes, let's call it. But now we close the day at 4.558%. So a clear 60 basis point plus breakout from the start of the year. After most of the year, we kind of meandered in the mid threes into the high threes. And now we recently broke out. The highest level since October of 2007. And everyone's talking about higher for longer. That's what it's all about. And this was after the Fed policy meeting on Wednesday of last week. And there's two main reasons for this higher for longer uh, narrative. Now, number one is the strength of the jobs market. And this is at odds with what a lot of people thought going into the beginning of the year, which was, hey, we're probably going into recession this year. Rates will come down and bond yields will rally or bond prices will rally, excuse me. And for the first half of the year, we call it the first quarter, that was largely intact. We had the banking crisis, and that was the catalyst for saying, hey, they're going to need to cut rates sooner rather than later. And more rate hikes are probably not in the offing. Well, since then, that narrative has slowly been faded by the market. Now, the first question you have to ask yourself is, should the current narrative be faded as well? Typically, when it's talked about in a widespread manner, the opposite happens. And I could argue we're almost there. Now, the jobs data is the main catalyst for the narrative that the economy is relatively strong. Initial jobless claims came in at 201,000 last week, and that was the lowest level since January. And the Federal Reserve's Atlanta GDP now figure is coming in at 4.9%, up from 2.1% in the second quarter. And that would be the strongest economic growth since the end of 2021. So it's giving the ammunition to the Fed to say, hey, the economy is still strong. Labor market is still tight. We're going to be higher for longer. And that fed into their dot plot. Right now, the Fed funds rate is at five and a quarter to 550. That's the range. But their dot plot has the end of next year coming in at just 5.1%. Back in June, it was 46 By the end of next year. In March, it was 4.3. So slowly, that's gone up. It's called 75 basis points over the past six months. The expectation for Fed rate, Fed policy rates at the end of next year. 
And so before the last meeting, it was two rate cuts expected next year. Now it's, sorry, four. Now it's two. So that's 50 basis points. And remember, the bond market is pricing these things in. So when the Fed is communicating four rate cuts next year, and then they communicate two, the Fed or the, the bond market has to price that in. And that's what's been happening since the middle of last week. And then on top of that, you have new issuance. There's a ton of borrowing in the back half of this year. We've talked about this over the past couple months. They now anticipate about a trillion dollars in bond sales in the third quarter, the largest ever cash raise during the third quarter. And this week, the Treasury is issuing $134 billion of two, five, and seven-year notes right in the belly of the curve where rates are going up the most. And you might look at the 10-year at 4.5% and say, that sounds pretty attractive nominally. But is it that attractive? Inflation is going to be around that level? Probably not. And if the Fed's going to be higher for longer, probably not, meaning you're taking on a lot of duration risk and potential losses. See Silicon Valley Bancorp and the other banks that had issues earlier this year. And so I think what you're starting to see is that the combination, there's two, there's two factors that are keeping unemployment low. Number one is demographics. Boomers are retiring. They're out of the workforce. If you retire, you are not counted as part of the workforce anymore. And therefore, your lack of a job doesn't mean you're unemployed. It means you're retired. And there's not enough younger people to come up and replace those people. So there's going to be a structural tightness in the labor market because of that. And then number two, it's structural spending. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, those are all automatic spending mechanisms and they're indexed to inflation. So it's not like you can get a quiet cut just by having inflation go up and those stay static. They're indexed. And so all of this makes you say the odds of a condition where the Fed would do a major rate cutting cycle tends to be pushed off further and further. All right, we're heading to a break. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. 
You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is InvestTalk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this headline, Three Ways a Health Savings Account Can Improve Your Finances. Open an HSA in minutes to help save on taxes, cover medical expenses, and grow your retirement nest egg. We'll talk about that tomorrow, but for now, let's head over to Lafayette, California, and talk with Bob and unemployment. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, a uh, question. I just wanted to kind of piggyback on what you were talking about, unemployment statistics. Um, they're not accurate. I, I know you briefly touched on that, but I, I don't know if the public really understands just how wildly inaccurate they are. They underreport dramatically. They don't report people who have just given up for work. Mm-hmm. So if you're on unemployment and you give up, that's not counted, which is absurd. And also, if you look at a lot of the government statistics out of the um, uh, BIS, I believe is what it's called, um, I've called them and asked them why they have removed certain items that they use for core, for core inflation verification. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's insane. What the government, it's, it's, it's basically, uh, we're being lied to on a massive basis. And the public, I know, they're busy. They don't have time to look at like shadowstats.com, which is an alternate uh, website that shows actual unemployment, inflation, 
CPI numbers, but I, I, I just, it amazes me that people actually believe these numbers. Now, I, I guess you could step back and go, well, everybody's using them, so it's a good baseline. I totally disagree. And that, that's all I want to say. I, if you can comment if you want, but I'm just, it, it's, it's, we're, we're in, we're in the end times of the United States. I'm afraid to say, um, well, this is just well you, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're in the fourth turning, so, uh, I don't say you're end times, but we are in a crisis period. And luckily, uh, we yeah, are right. near the end of the crisis period. Uh, if you look at, uh, kind of how history tends to, uh, play out. Um, so, uh, I like to view it as say hey, we're closer to spring than we are at the beginning of, of, of winter. So, but when it comes to your uh, discussion of unemployment, you're correct. I mean, the U6 is a better measure, uh, and that's what even shadowstats.gov uh, uh, shows. And I tend to use U6. And if you look at the last data point, we're at 7.1% for the U6 number. The U3 is the one that it tends to give, give you the headlines, but the U6 is a much broader measure and a better measure uh, of unemployment. But it's at 7.1%, which is the highest level since May of last year and is clearly now in an uptrend. And I, I would agree that that 201,000 number, I, I, I actually don't like the initial jobless claims number as a good data point. It's talked about a lot, mainly because it's high frequency. You get it every week. Whereas the actual jobs produced number, the U3 and the U6 number, that comes out once a month, which we'll get it next Friday. We'll get an update. And you're right, U6 is the the uh, at the highest level of the year, 7.1%. And that's why I, I kind of think you fade this sell-off in bonds and higher interest rates, at least near term, because I don't think that the jobs market is nearly on as sound a footing as the 201,000 initial jobs claims will tell you, because it's not about, it's not about how many people lose their jobs every week. It's about also how many people get back on their feet relatively quickly. If you lose your job, you're out for a month and you get a job in a month, your life, you're fine, right? Most people can get through that. If you're out for a year, maybe not, probably not. It's a big difference. So it's more about the continuous claims for unemployment. Now that's also a little skewed because you can only collect unemployment for so long. Eventually, you fall off. And, and uh, so there, there, there's always issues with every piece of economic data. And if you only focus on the negatives of the numbers, then you're missing kind of the big picture. And that's what we try to do is you have to look at them all with their flaws, put them all together, and come up with an understanding of where the economy is. Not just in the near term, but also long term, because there's a lot of things that are helping the economy near term that aren't necessarily great long term, like the spending. We're at a, about a $2 trillion deficit, the largest non-recessionary deficit in history. So this is an environment that it's confounding for a lot of people. 
Did I say confounding? Dumbfounding is what I meant. Because it doesn't make sense. But that's because this is what we've been talking about. We are in a different time. This isn't 08. This isn't 2010. This isn't 2014. This isn't 2001. It's nothing like almost anybody has seen really for 67 years. It's an environment of high debt across the economy, mainly on the sovereign level, very similar to post-World War II. You have probably the worst demographics for America in a long time. Because remember, the boomers were the largest cohort of our population for 40, 50 years. And they were all working. They're all paying taxes and they were making more and more money each year because they became more productive. They had the combination of relative youth and experience over time. And that's why the 90s, you had a budget surplus. A lot of people say, oh, it was the dot-com boom and technological revolution. Sure, that had something to do with it. You had a lot of capital gains taxes that were paid in 2000. That was the last time we had the budget surplus. But guess what? We also had a lot of boomers in their late 30s, early 40s, the prime of their working life. And there's they were paying a lot of taxes. They were creating a lot of economic activity, buying homes. Going on trips, doing all the things the middle class tends to do. And so a lot of people are doom and gloomers. And it's easy to be that way. It's easy to be that way. It's harder to have perspective. It's harder to look at all the data points. It's easy to look at a headline. It's easy to point to one thing. It's harder to have nuance. And if there's anything I can impart on all of you is everything is nuanced. The world is not black and white. The world's shades of gray. No company, no asset class, no politician, no economic data point is perfect. They all have their flaws. They all have their issues. And it's your job to not be caught up in the tribalism or the dogma that so many people can have. It's easy to be black and white. It's good or it's bad. And that's why I say here, when you, when you hear me talk about a stock, you know, I, I try to give the, the pros and the cons. And I might say, you know, the risk versus reward is not great. It means I've weighed both sides and it doesn't make sense, at least for not, not right now. But I might go the other way. You know, I like this name. doesn't mean it doesn't have its issues. You know, AT&T is a good example. Based on its business, 
it's cash flow. It's it's a pretty good value. But it's not without its risks. And so don't get too caught up in getting all doom and gloomy because it does no good. It does you no good. All right, let's pivot back to the Invest Talk voice bank at 888 chart Hey there, this is Scott in Florida. Got a question about lithium battery technology and where that industry or sector is headed in the near term and long term. Seems like there's a lot of strong opinions that are varied. I do hold Piedmont Lithium, ticker PLL. It's less than 1% of my portfolio. Very speculative. Um, I try to buy on the dips. So if you could talk a little bit about the industry and what your take is on that. And then if you had any comments about Piedmont, that would be great. Thanks. Love the show. Have a good day. Uh, I'll tell you the same thing I've been saying for the last few years, especially when lithium companies did so well in 2021. And, and I said, lithium is not a very good base material to go invest in for the green revolution. I talk about lithium ion batteries. Now there's two sides of it. There's the supply and the demand. When you're looking at especially commodities, you have to focus on both sides. A lot of people focus on one, right? Will demand go up or will demand go down? But it's not that simple. Why? Because how easy is it for someone else to come in and supply the same thing? Remember the commodities. Nobody cares where the lithium came from or the gold came from or the copper came from. Nobody cares. Is it copper? Is it gold? Is it lithium? That's all, they, that's all that matters. So when prices go up, how easy is it for somebody to say, oh, it's profitable for me to go and find that particular material and go sell in the marketplace? When it's easy, the odds of any company having long-lasting profitability, extensive profitability, is pretty minor because their competitor is going to go and just produce more. And so for I've said this for many years. Go back, listen. Lithium is not great for that because lithium is a salt. It's easy to find. Lithium is all over the world. To produce it, ramp up production, compared to most other commodities, it's pretty basic, pretty easy. So that's the supply side. I don't like the supply side dynamics there. I want a commodity where, you know what? It's pretty risky. It's pretty expensive. It takes a while for a competitor to ramp up production once prices are, are high. That's the commodities I like to invest in. Because if prices go up, hey, I, I can, I'm already producing it. I can reap the rewards for many years before someone else comes in and spends their billions to, to get production ramped. That's why I, like, I kind of like copper. Copper takes a while to ramp up production. And then the demand side, you have lithium-ion batteries. They're good. They're a much better version than your old uh, nickel-cadmium batteries. 
And there's obviously a high near-term demand for them. But they have their limitations. And you have companies like QuantumScape and others that are looking for alternatives. Solid-state batteries. That's what QuantumScape is going after. Do they get there? We'll see. I don't know. But there's that risk that a year from now, five years from now, a decade from now, lithium-ion will be the old technology, not the latest technology. And so I don't know when that's coming. So you have both sides that are, I I think, not that great. Now, Piedmont is supposed to make a ton of money next year, $20 per share. If it does that, it's certainly cheap, sitting at 38. But remember, it's not producing any revenue now. It's all about their potentially producing lithium. And maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is. Maybe it's cheap because it's going to produce, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start making revenue maybe later this year or next year. And if that's true, it's probably cheap. But I just don't love lithium. And I don't love the exploratory miners like Piedmont. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the writer's strike. And there is a tentative deal between the Writers Guild and the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. That was announced on Sunday. And there needs to be a separate deal reached with the Screen Actors Guild uh, before these TV shows and movies can start up again. And you saw a rally in companies like Cinemark, AMC, IMAX, etc. But when it comes to the streamers, it was a more mixed bag. Netflix and Paramount closed higher. Disney, Warner's Brothers, Discover, Discovery, and Universal Studios. Owner Comcast, they went down. And mainly this has to do with cash flow. These streamers were struggling. A lot of them had negative free cash flow because they just the cost of producing these shows and their revenues just weren't that great. But now Netflix is actually reporting double the cash flow it was before the strike. And so for these studios, it's been it, this ending is is probably good. But for the streamers, it just means they're going to have to spend more money. Money that a lot of them don't have and aren't producing themselves internally. So overall, I think this deal is bad for the streaming world. All right, we're heading into our final break, so I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888 chart Let's go talk to Craig in Seattle looking at FNDF. How you doing, Craig? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You're looking at the Schwab Fundamental International Large Company ETF, correct? Yes, sir. And you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I've got some of it now. I'm looking at uh, increasing. I've recently rebalanced and diminished some of my international exposure and, uh, uh, you know, moving into some other ETFs, and I want to supplement them. 
uh, I like the diversification, and, and uh, it seems to skew and stop holding toward automotive and energy where I'm kind of light. Uh, you know, I like the rating. I want to do your take on it as a supplement for my international exposure. Yeah, I like it. This is basically a, an international large cap value ETF. And if you look at the sector breakdown, only 7% in technology, its highest holding uh, by sector is 18% in financial services, and then industrials 15. You have a little over 9% in energy, a little over 10% in basic materials. Uh, real estate only 1.4%, utilities 4.4%. Uh, so I like the sector breakdown overall much better than the broader market. And you're right, it does skew with top holdings into energy and the car makers. You have Toyota and Honda in the top 10, as well as Shell, Total, BP, uh, let's see what else, Glencore, another uh, uh, commodity producer. So I like what you're looking at here. Now, the, the price is about 25 basis points. And this is the perfect example of a name that you want to be focusing more on the allocation to the sectors and the type of companies it holds versus, oh, just the fee. So many people are focused, oh, I want the lowest fee ETF and not understanding the holdings. And what you see here is that the holdings are, are solid. And a much better mix than you're getting going to get with, uh, you know, say an S and P, for example. So I like this. I would be adding to it on dips. That's uh, exactly what I was thinking. I appreciate it. And that was a great breakdown. Thanks so much, Justin. No problem. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on this latest filing from the FTC and 17 different states. They're suing Amazon, alleging that they illegally use their monopoly power to overcharge consumers, hobble competitors, and exploit sellers on its marketplace. And they accuse them of, of increasing fees to sellers on its marketplace to extract nearly half of every dollar of revenue made by those sellers. And they even punish sellers that discounted heavily by making them effectively invisible in its search results and forcing their vendors to use their expensive logistics network. Now, shoppers, they, they argue is that shoppers consequently, consequently face less relevant search results and are steered towards more expensive products. And this is brought by FTC Chair Lena Khan, and she's talked about for years of having a stronger stance on big tech. And, they, and she believes that they've skirted regulatory scrutiny for many decades. Now, what they say is that their online marketplace, uh, that the what they've done is they've used tools to also kind of spy on their retailers on other websites. And basically, if they found that they were selling those products for less than other websites, they would derank them, kick them off their platform. And they argue that Amazon has made extensive efforts to frustrate regulators themselves hiding information to its internal operations. Now, they've been fined before. There was a FTC lawsuit in June basically saying that Amazon tricked their customers into signing up for Prime without their consent to hide the fact that you can sign up for Amazon Prime's video streaming service without paying for the full Prime membership 
personally, I didn't even know that I'm a prime member, but I didn't know you could, you, you could, uh, subscribe to that separately. And this is just another shot across the bow of the big tech and that government isn't going to allow them to grow through acquisition and abuse their monopoly position. And we all know they have that to a degree, a varying degree, depending on which one you're talking about. But clearly, this also makes for a, I think, a significantly worse risk versus reward for a lot of them. And I would say Amazon is clearly the top of that list. You can even say Google is in there. I would say Apple's fairly low with the big, bigger cap names, but it still has its, its issues with the App Store. But something to watch as we move forward. And I think this uh, now, I think both, si- both sides of the aisle are probably lining up against the big, uh, big tech names and makes them more risky to invest in. And we all know the major indexes are heavily weighted towards them. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. We have now achieved more than 55.8 million downloads since it all began, thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.